Thank you, Drew. <clears throat> well, good morning. It is great to be with you guys um, this morning uh, as we worship the Lord together. And, and Shannon, if you would come up in your bulletin, uh, you may see some, uh, some info about things, but you also see uh, a little uh, note about Shannon, who is, um, this is her last Sunday before she goes for 90 days uh, on a mission with uh, Mercy Ships. And I uh, just wanted to have Shannon um, tell you a little bit about the, the mission that she's going on, but also for us as a church body to pray for her as she goes for these next 90 days. And like I said, there's more info in there, but we'd love to hear, Shannon, just tell us more about uh, the mission that you're going on as you prepare. Yeah, thank you. So I'll be going with Mercy Ships, um, which is a gospel-centered, they have ships that they do surgeries on for people that don't have access to surgical care and health care. And so I will be going and working as a nurse on one of the ships um, in the post-op um, taking care of patients as they recover from surgeries, cleft palate repairs, hernia repairs, all kinds of different things. Um, so, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And how can we pray for you as you prepare to go and, uh, and over the next 90 days? Yeah. So this week, I appreciate prayers for the final logistics and everything coming together, waiting on some paperwork and those things. Um, and then also just for the tr- safe travels while I'm going, um, for mostly for the Lord to be made known um, to myself, to the people that I'm around, both peers and patients, um, for good gospel relationships. And, yeah, awesome. That's healing. great. That's great. Well, let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much for Shannon. Uh, we thank you uh, for the call that you've put on her life uh, to go and to use the gifts that you have given her, um, both the gifts of nursing as well as just the, the spiritual gifts that you've given her as well, um, to be used of you in a place that's really difficult and challenging. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for Mercy Ships. We thank you for their mission uh, as they go and, and to, um, to, give, to bring care that is needed. Um, and so Lord, we pray uh, for Shannon. This last week as she prepares to go, Lord, I pray that you would um, give her uh, peace as she prepares, allow all the details to come together. And Lord, may she know your presence in that. And Lord, over the the next uh, three months, Lord, would she um, trust you? Would you use her uh, to glorify yourself um, in the communities where uh, she will be? And so, Lord, we, uh, we pray for protection over her the next three months. We pray uh, for peace, for trust, uh, and that she would know that her church body is praying for her um, over these next uh, three months as well. And so, Lord, we thank you for Shannon uh, and just how it compels us all to live on mission for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks so much for sharing. All right. If, well, if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to Romans chapter 13 as we um, will continue uh, in our series in the book of Romans. Uh, and the, the story goes, uh, there, there was a, a politician, a governor, who was um, running. He was a governor, but he was running for a second term. And this is around the turn of the 20th century. And so he's, he's, he's running for governor. He's running for, for it again. And as he's going through the day, he, he's just having a really busy life, busy day. He hasn't eaten, hasn't eaten a thing has been working really hard. And he comes to this political rally that evening. And as he comes to the rally, he's just famished. He's starving. He's so hungry because he hasn't eaten. He's been working really hard. And he goes to the line like everybody else. And they give him a plate. And they say, hey, here's your, you know, here's your roll. Here's your sides. And it comes to the chicken. And they give him a piece of chicken. And, and he says, oh, thank you so much. Um, he's like, ma'am, is there any way like, I could get you know, two pieces of chicken? Uh, I, I mean, I'm famished. I, I've got to speak here in a little bit. I haven't had any food. And she's like, I'm sorry. I, I was just told to give one piece of chicken and I, that's, that's all I can do. And he's like, well, is there any, is there any way, like anything you could do, like any exception you can make? And, um, and she's kind of like, no, I'm sorry. I just, I can't I have to give one piece of chicken. And he's like, apparently he wouldn't do this very much, but he says, um, ma'am, do you know who I am? He says, I'm the governor of this great state. Uh, and I really am so hungry. And, and she said, um, yeah, I, I know who you are. She said, do you know who I am? I'm the lady who gives chicken, she says. <laughs> 
I do not think that he got her vote that year. I'm, I'm wondering. Um, no matter who we are, we are under authority. Whether you're the governor or you're the chicken lady, you are under authority. And, and what do we think about authority? Uh, authority is, is challenging for us. Uh, no matter what that authority is, whether it's governing authorities or authorities that, that, that God has placed over us, there's something in us that kicks against authority. There's something in us that wants to rebel against uh, authority. And this question that comes up for us is, what is the Christian's response to authority? What are we supposed to do when authority is placed over us? And especially when that authority I'm not really sure what I think about that authority. Maybe I disagree with that authority or I disagree with the decisions they're making or the policies they're making. What is our call as Christians in the context of authority? Now, we've been talking through Romans and in Romans 12, Paul makes this transition and he says, after all the things that you know that's true of the gospel, all the things that we just sang, that is true of us because of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, our response to all of life is to live as a living sacrifice. In other words, to surrender every part of our life to him, including our politics, including how we respond to governing authorities. Paul says that you give your life as a living sacrifice, not conformed to the way of the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means that the way that we respond to governing authorities, it's going to be different. As believers in Christ, it's going to be different. It's not going to be conformed to the way of the world, but it's going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because we are giving our lives as living sacrifices and surrendering everything. People say, don't, whatever you do, just don't talk about, you know, religion and politics. Well, Paul's going to talk about both today in, the, in, in Romans 13. Now, if you remember in Romans 12, at the end of Romans 12, we, we talked about this interpersonal relationships that we have. And, and, and last week, as we looked at this idea of, of we, in fact, he, Paul forbids us to take personal revenge, which is really hard because there's times when we really want to take revenge, but he says, leave it to God. Trust in God's justice. Trust that God will bring about what is right and good and perfect. And as he's talking about this interpersonally, you know, do not overcome, uh, he says, overcome evil with good. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And as much as possible to live honorably with those who we can. And so this invitation that is interpersonally, the natural question is, well, what do we do with the state? And in Rome, what do they do with this corrupt government that is leading them? And that's where Romans 13 leads us, that these interpersonal reactions, the way that we're supposed to live with one another, actually has application with how we think about the state. And so the question is, what does a surrendered, what does a living sacrifice, what does a life not conform to the way of the world, but transformed by the renewing of their mind, what does a Christian how does a Christian respond to the governing authorities? And that's what we're going to look at today in Romans chapter 13. You can turn there if you have your Bibles. We'll have it on the screen as well. Um, Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, Paul starts this with let everyone, everyone submit 
to governing authorities. This means everyone. Uh, now, Paul's building a theological foundation for uh, authority. Now, I, I want to just kind of play that out a little bit. And the first uh, foundation to authority is that, as he says here, is all authority is delegated. All authority has been delegated by God. Now, this is a really important baseline when it comes to our understanding of authority, that all authority resides in God. He is the master of the universe. He's the one in charge of everything. And so God chooses to delegate his authority to human beings. We see this in Genesis 1. Within the creation of humanity, we have been delegated authority to fill the earth with his glory, to to oversee the, the creation, all the things that we've been, but it's all God's. It's not ours, but he's delegated it to us. And so this is where we start with this principle and this foundation that all authority is delegated. All authority That means princes, pharaohs, presidents, kings, governors, rulers. He says, no authority exists except that it's from God. Now, this creates obviously in us this question of, well, what about authority that is not honoring God? And that can't be what God wants. Is that from God? It's the question that comes to mind when we think about authority. Now, as we play this out, just, I want us to, I'm not going to turn there, but I want us to look at Daniel. Now, Daniel, who is a man of God, who's under Nebuchadnezzar, one of the worst evil rulers under, of, of Babylon. And what does Daniel say while living in the midst of this? He says this, look with me. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Blessed be God. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. What does he say? That in the midst of submitting to Nebuchadnezzar, one of the worst kings on the planet in the history of the world, he says, God removes kings and God sets up kings. All authority is delegated. Fast forward to Jesus at the end of his life as he comes before Pilate and Pilate is saying, look, hey, Jesus, I need you to talk because I have authority over you and I'm the one who decides what happens with you. And look what he says, John 19. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And so here we have these two statements that just corroborate this idea that all authority is delegated, but both of them are in the context of of evil rulers. Pilate, who out of passivity is going to allow Jesus to be crucified, even though he's an innocent man. He's obviously not leading how God would want him to lead. Nebuchadnezzar, who is uh, as bad as they get, who is an evil ruler, and yet what do we see in this? God accomplishes his purposes even with evil rulers. Now, that pushes us. That pushes us to really press into God's sovereignty, when, especially when we look at leaders of our day, or we could just go through history and talk about all the leaders uh, that we have seen through history and go, there's no way God established that. And yet, with Nebuchadnezzar and Pilate, for example, God uses them for his purposes. Now, God is going to punish Nebuchadnezzar. And you see that later in his story because he was not, he was being an evil ruler. But what I want us to see is that even in the midst of evil rulers, God uses all things for his purposes. Now, that's not the final thing we're going to say about that. We're just building the foundation. 
But we're starting with the foundation. And the foundation is that all authority is delegated. Now he goes on. Verse 3. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So Paul says, not only is all authority delegated, but he gives a purpose behind God's design of authority. And the purpose is that authority Authorities are God's servants to accomplish God's purposes. That's how it's supposed to be. In fact, three times in this chapter, uh, God used, I mean, Paul uses the word servants to describe authorities. That's their role. If you are in a place of authority, your role is to be a servant of God, for the, to accomplish the purposes of God. And, and there's, two, there's two ways to do this. Commend who, those who do right, and condemn or correct or redirect or discipline those who do wrong. You're trying as a leader to, to, as an authority, to create a place of flourishing for that community. This is how it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to work. Now, Paul is not in this passage talking about persecuting emperors or ungodly rulers. That's not what he's addressing in this passage. Authority by design is not bad. In fact, it's good. It's for our good. It's for our protection. And it's for the flourishing of a community. This is the foundation that Paul says. All authority is delegated, and all authority is meant to be God's servant to accomplish God's purposes for the flourishing of a community. So that's the foundation, but that's not the question of the passage. The question of the passage is, what does a person who follows Jesus, what does a person who, who now has Jesus as king, what does a person who says, I'm not going to be conformed to the, to the uh, way of the world, but I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, what does that person as a believer in Jesus do with authority? It's the question they're asking in the first century Rome, where they have this corrupt government that they're now having to submit to, and they're like, well, we, we have this new citizenship. What does that mean for us? And it's the question that we're asking. In many ways, with the authorities that are around us, what is our response as believers in Jesus to that authority? Now, and Paul says it pretty clear. Look back at verse one. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. What he's saying is the Christian's responsibility is to submit to governing authorities. He repeats it in verse five. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, I find this interesting. Because all authority is delegated, because God's servant is there, and the way it's designed is to punish wrongdoing and to commend the good and create a, a flourishing for the community, then we, as Christians, we submit to it. But he says, he has this little addition there. He says, submit to it, not just because you might get punished if you don't, but submit to it by, out of conscience. Submit to it because it's right. And, and there's something about this idea of submission. First and foremost, it's not uh, only an action. It's a heart condition. It starts in our heart. There's a heart disposition that says, I want to live under this banner of authority that God has put on, over me. 
Now, Paul uses this wordplay a little bit. He says, all authority is set in place by God. It's the word tasso. And, and then he says, but do not resist, which is the word anti-tasso. So the idea here is do not, in overt ways or in subtle ways, try to overthrow the, the authority that God has put into you. Do not, do not try to undermine the authority that God has placed. Do not resist that authority. And yet, this issue of submission to authority, if we go all the way back to the beginning, it's kind of the root of our issue. Think about Adam and Eve. They have one command. And what do they want? They want to be God. They want this word that we like to say, autonomy, which is just two words put together. Auto means self. Namas means law. We want a self-law. We want to be king. And we don't want to submit to anyone else. That's the heart, if you will, of sin. The heart of the fall of humanity is that we want to be king. We want to be God. And we want to have a rule into ourselves. We want to be autonomous. And they refuse to submit to God's commands. And so this disposition that is autonomous, that refuses to, to submit, is actually the root of our sin. All the way back to Genesis. And we all, every single one of us, wrestle with it. And Paul says, our responsibility, our call as believers in Jesus is to submit to those authorities because of conscience, he says. And so when it comes to authority, whatever that authority is, what's our heart towards it? We might need to just pause and ask ourselves, what is my heart towards whatever that authority is in my life? Do I just want to be king? Do I just want autonomy? I just want self-law? Do I have a disposition that just says, I want to be in charge? Or do I have a disposition of submission? Because all authority is delegated by God, and all authority is meant to be God's servants to accomplish God's purposes. For some of us, there may be actual authority that we need to just kind of be convicted in our own heart of whether I'm overtly or subtly doing it, I'm just trying to overthrow it. I'm trying to subvert that authority that God has placed over me. Now, practically speaking, Paul says, verse six, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now, who knows what the holiday April 18th is this year? Anyone? There's a couple of chuckles. The accountants are like, please don't bring that up. Uh, it, it's tax day. It's not a holiday. It's an anti-holiday, right? We, 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 what, this is the day we pay taxes. And yet, simple application today. Pay your taxes. There you go. You're like, well, of course, I'm going to pay my taxes, right? But why would he bring that up? Now, Nero is in the beginning of his reign. We know about Nero. He's a horrible leader. But in the beginning of this time, when, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he's not doing those things that we know about yet, the persecution of Christians. But he has raised taxes. And he has... It's an unreasonable raise of taxes. And he's hiked taxes. And, and so the church at Rome 
is having to navigate these difficult political dynamics that are happening around them. And the church at Rome is very diverse when it comes to political views. I mean, just on the Jewish side alone, there's at least five political parties. And then who knows about the other side, the Gentiles. And so they are a group of Christians trying to be united around Jesus alone. And that's difficult. If we think we're divided now, you look, read about the first century, they are so divided politically. And so Paul keeps speaking about unity, unity, unity. We're, we are identified around who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so what does he say? As Christians, pay taxes. It's unreasonable, pay taxes. It's just like what Jesus said, give, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render to God what is God's. That doesn't mean you can't, you know, vote or work for things to change different dynamics of a policy. But if we disagree with the policy, we disagree with who a leader is, we still have the heart disposition to submit. Paul says, obey, submit, pay your taxes. Now, this whole time I've been talking, there's one question that's rolling around all of your heads. And I know it. I can see it on your eyes. You're like, when is he going to talk about this? Uh, what do we do about an authority that is disobeying God and is causing us to disobey God? Now, I want to say this because I think it's very similar to last week, what Kyle said about Romans 12. Our tendency is to immediately go to the exception immediately go to the caveats. Well, okay, well, I'm not supposed to get vengeance, but if you knew my story, I, I would do it. Or I'm supposed to live honorably among all those who, uh, who you know, outdo one another in showing honor, but you don't know that person, so I can't do that. And we tend to go to the exception or tend to go to the caveat. I don't want us to miss the command. The command is very clear. Submit to governing authorities. And in fact, in this passage, Paul does not even say a word about those authorities, and he's talking about Rome. So we need to hear that before we get to the caveats. But what do we do when an authority is opposed to God's rule? When, when authority is going to cause us to disobey God? Well, I, I think, again, we remember Romans 12. As much as it depends upon us, we live at peace with all. We do not become overcome with evil. We, come, we overcome evil with good. We are the ones who are called to not... Go get personal revenge, but to let God figure it out. Remember Romans 12. But the question is, is there a time for civil disobedience? Is there a time when we say, I will not obey that, what the authorities over me say? Now, there is some biblical precedent for this. Uh, in Exodus, um, the, the Pharaoh, it says, all Jewish boys will be killed. All Jewish boys, throw them in the Nile. And what do the Hebrew midwives do? They say, we're not going to do that. Because to disobey, to, to disobey that would, is what we're called to do, like to not throw babies into the Nile. And so that's how Moses' life is saved. Or you fast forward to Daniel. We already read Daniel a little bit. But in Daniel, as he is living under Nebuchadnezzar in, in this context, in fact, he, uh, Nebuchadnezzar builds an idol for every single person to worship. And there's three guys who won't do it. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Uh, those three guys will not obey. And they, out of civil disobedience, do not bow. Same with later in the story, Daniel, kind of through an edict, kind of through uh, a little bit of some uh, devious ways, Darius creates an edict that says nobody can pray to anyone but Darius. And, and Daniel says, you know what, I, I have to pray to God. As is my custom, I'm going to bow and I'm going to pray to God as I do. And so there's civil disobedience. But there's a temptation, and I think I hear this sometimes. There's a temptation to be like, yeah, 
as God's people, we're free to do whatever we want, right? No one's the boss of me. My boss is a Jewish carpenter, right? That person is not my president. That person is not my governor. That person is not my authority. This is a tendency, and I hear it in Christian circles. And when I hear it in Christian circles, what we tend to do is we're just trying to baptize autonomy. We're trying to say, you know what? We are self-law. We should be a law among ourselves. That's not what this passage says. But is there a place for civil disobedience? Well, I want to turn to Acts 5, and you can, I'll have it on the screen as well. And Peter is preaching the gospel. This, this is a place for civil disobedience, but it also gives us a very clear principle in that. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. That's the authority that they are under. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles said, look at this line, We must obey God rather than men. Civil disobedience, biblically speaking, is not to say, I don't like that policy, I don't like that tax hike, I don't like that person in authority, therefore I'm not going to submit. Simply put, civil disobedience is when a human law forces us to disobey God. Then we, at that moment, we must obey God rather than men. Like Peter says, Augustine says this, he says, if anyone thinks that because he is a Christian, he does not have to pay taxes or tribute nor show proper respect to the authorities who take care of these things, he is in a very great error. Likewise, if anyone thinks that he ought to submit to the point where he accepts that someone who is his superior in temporal affairs should have authority even over his faith, he falls into an even greater error. But the balance which the Lord himself prescribed is to be maintained. Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, but unto God the things which are God's. I find this really helpful. It's honestly very clear. If a law or an authority over us is going to cause us to have to disobey God, then we don't simply just say, I'm sorry, I can't do anything about it. Man's laws are forcing me to do this. No, because we have to obey God. And if the laws are saying this is what you have to do, then we have to obey God and step up into civil disobedience. Again, the principle is really clear. When a human law forces us to disobey God, then God's people must stand in opposition. This is really clear. But in light of what we've just read in Romans 13, we need to make sure. We need to ask that question. Am I just kind of following a heart disposition that doesn't like, to, doesn't like that authority? Or is that authority asking me to do something that will disobey God? This requires discernment. This requires prayer. Uh, I, I think this requires wisdom from the Spirit, wisdom from each other uh, to talk through these things. And honestly, I think it requires a little bit of us to, to be prepared. To have some of these conversations ahead of time. You know where you, where you live. You know the authorities over you. Like what... What is it that I, that I could see happening that might lead me to the place where I would have to, to disobey that because I would be disobeying God to do it? This takes discernment. This takes prayer. Uh, because again, the command, the overwhelming command in Romans 13 is to submit and have a heart of submission to it. Now, if and when something happens where a governing authority over you says you have to do this, 
Um, and what we say is, if I have to do that, that I'll be disobeying God. I think there's a couple of, of guiding thoughts as we do it. One, we are called still to have respect, honor, and humility. In fact, we're called to pray. Later, Paul would say in 1 Timothy, in the midst of Nero's, the height of Nero's terrible reign, it says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. That no matter what is happening around us, we are called to pray for them, for all leaders and for all authorities, that they would actually accomplish what God designed for them as authorities. We walk with humility and honor and, and dignity even in that. Secondly, we may have to disobey. And if we do, we do that in a godly way. Sometimes I see the people who, who disobey an ungodly law in an ungodly manner. That does nothing in the midst of this idea of Romans 12 that we've just read. That we still do this with honor and respect. Third, we push for change. This is true across the board. We, we live in a, in a place where we can affect change. Uh, Daniel did too. In fact, if you remember the diet that was laid down for Daniel, uh, it was against his laws as he followed God. He actually made effort and said, I want to change this. He made negotiations. He worked upstream and he changed the law that happened that he was put, laid upon him that was causing him to disobey God. And so we have the same opportunity. Have a meeting. Vote. Get involved in the things that say, how can we change the things that might happen that might be causing us to uh, disobey God? And lastly, if we have to uh, disobey a human authority because we have to obey God, we have to accept the consequences. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fire furnace. Daniel uh, was thrown in the lion's den. There are consequences that we may have to face. And sometimes we go, oh, I can't imagine, I can't believe I'm facing this consequence. Well, we're obeying God, not men. Peter and the apostles were thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. And so this idea of authority, Paul says this matters because it's a gospel issue. It's about how we think of our life that is submitted every area to our lives to him, to God. And that because of that, the authority that has been placed over us, we are called to submit. Not to be conformed to the way of, of the world that is autonomous, that is selfish, that says that no one is the boss of me. But rather, to submit to God and submit in that submission to God, we're submitting to the authorities that God has put over me. And if the authority is causing you to have to disobey God, then we have to stand firm. Because we obey God rather than men. But ultimately, whether we don't like a policy, whether we don't like something that happened, whether we don't like a leader who's put over us, the ultimate question is, do we trust that God may be using a ruler or authority to accomplish his purposes, even if it doesn't make sense to us? Do we trust that God, no matter what's happening around us, is still accomplishing his purposes? It's a question of, do we really believe that God's Lord and he's sovereign overall? And as we do, it begins to shape how we think about what's happening around us and the authorities that God has called us to submit to. And we long and we wait and we can't wait for that day when Jesus returns and we will, he will set up a, a new heavens and a new earth where there'll be no more sin, no more injustice, no more pain, no more tears. 
a world that will be perfect because Jesus is king. But in the meantime, we do not become overcome with evil, but we overcome evil with good. And we respond as gospel Christians. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text that is challenging, especially in light of our current uh, cultural situation, but it was challenging for them too in light of what was happening in Rome in the first century. And I thank you, Lord, that the gospel speaks to challenging situations. And Lord, my prayer for us is that um, no matter what is happening around us, that we would submit first and foremost to you. That we would not live this autonomous, this um, self-law that is in us because it's our sin nature. We would repent from doing that. And that we would seek a heart disposition that is to submit to you and to the authorities that you have placed over us. Lord, in the times when you've asked us to disobey, because if we were to obey that law, we would be disobeying you. Would you give us boldness to do that? Faith to do that and discernment to trust you in it all. Lord, ultimately, we pray that you would be glorified in the way that we handle all of life. And in particular in this passage, the way we think about governing authorities. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.